Fan Junkies Radio is brought to you by FanJunkies.net, where sports meets social networking. Gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Fan Junkies Radio. I am your host, Jonathan Raggis. Alongside me, as always, is my partner in crime, Mike McShane. Mike, what's going on, bud? How are we doing? 101 today. 101. No, that's not my temperature. Uh, it's, it's, and it's not my age. Oh, <laughs> uh, you beat me to I beat it. you to the punch, man. Don't worry, I'll get you during the show. Yeah, you're you're a little slow on the uptake today. Yeah, I'm not feeling too good today. That's but all right. Listen, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm glad I'm not Sergio Garcia, huh? Yeah, I think a lot of people are glad they're not Sergio Garcia today. My gosh, I'll tell you, it, you we were talking about it a little bit pre-show. I, I'm watching a little bit of that uh, as it's going on live because it was a tense moment there in the in the final round of the of the Players Championship out at Sawgrass. Watching a little bit of that, there was some tension there because you had you had uh, uh, Tiger Woods up on the 18th. And you had Sergio Garcia back one hole on the 17th. Now, the 17th is that famous, famous hole at Sawgrass where it's over the water. And when I say famous, anybody who's ever seen Tin Cup knows it. Yeah. Well, Garcia pulled a Tin Cup moment, man, that was just classic. Three in a row in the drink. He was uh, spending more time in the water than those Baywatch babes, huh? <laughs> it was – it was – Honestly, I mean, it was you know, I'm seriously sitting there thinking, am I watching? Am I watching Tin Cup? Was he in the lead? They were tied at that particular moment. Both um, Tiger Woods and Sergio Garcia were tied for first place, and it, a lot of us who were watching it were actually thinking that this might end up going to a playoff. Which, if it did, interestingly enough, Jonathan, I think that the first playoff hole. Would have been the seventeenth, which, wow. which it would have been the the, the, the water hole. So that so, killed him, then, huh? Yep, that killed him. <laughs> <laughs> I think he made a sound just like that too. Poor Sergio Garcia. Uh, poor Sergio Garcia. All right, Mike, let's uh, yeah. jump right into it today because we have fifty-seven minutes left. I think that's enough to talk about what we want to talk about. I, I think I think there's enough time in there. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but we got to start off right with today in sports. Today in sports, I'm going to take you back to 1983. So uh, this one isn't too, too far back. Uh, Reggie Jackson was still playing at that particular time, 1983. He was playing for the California Angels. And on this day in that year, he became the first major league player to strike out 2,000 times in a career. Was that the uh, game where he tried to assassinate the Queen of England? Okay, now you're hitting me with info. I didn't I don't know what the reference is. Come on, naked gun. Must kill the queen. You don't remember that? No. Ah, oh, you're terrible, man. We gotta get you some movies over there. Yeah, movies, you know. Well And I, you know what? I thought you'd be a Leslie Nielsen type of guy, Mike. Not really. Really? No, not really. Wow. Mm. Wow. Nah. I, I told you I'm not one I'm not much I'm not one much for comedies. Ah, uh, yet our show is all it's of that. Comedy. It's always a comedy here. Always a comedy. 
And you can add into that comedy. Give us a call today, 347-237-5373, as we kick off our next 100 shows. Absolutely. I like uh, Psychics in the chat room said, not quick on the uptake there, huh, Mike? Uh, oh, okay. So he's going to use my own words right back at me. Yep, because I'm sure you probably use it on Sidekick many, many times. Well, I just used it on you. Yes. <laughs> you did. You did. All right, man. Let's uh, jump right into the NBA playoffs here. And uh, yesterday we had a game that went into overtime, Mike. And uh, that was the Warriors and Spurs. Warriors winning by 10 points, 97 to 87. Two tightest series up at 2 2. Let me tell you, this has been an exciting series so far. Yeah, a real I, exciting series. I, yeah, you know, I got to keep reminding myself, and I do this every single year, and I bet you a lot of fans out there do as well. You, you seem to forget, and, and I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's uh, the NBA or NHL or Major League Baseball, whatever. When you get in the playoffs, it's a completely different, a completely different animal. Yes. And, uh, you know, going into this series, I kind of thought, oh, okay, San Antonio is going to just manhandle Golden State. You wait and see. Every one of these games is going to be tight. Yeah. Let me tell you, though. All these series are going to be close. you got to look at this and say, wow, is Stephen Curry showing that he possibly is or is going to be one of the best players in the NBA? I mean, he's just been a monster mm-hmm. for Golden State. I mean, yep. wow. I mean, listen, I, I, listen, I love this father, Del Curry. Thought he was a phenomenal player. But Stephen's the uh, prize of that family right there. 22.6 rebounds, four assists, I believe, last night. Yes, he just he's always scoring over 20 points, it seems. And if he has a good day, he's scoring uh, near 40 or over. It's 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 amazing. Yep. Let's uh, talk about some of the games tonight. Uh, two more exciting series. Miami Heat versus Chicago Bulls tonight at 7 o'clock on TNT. Bulls, uh, excuse me, Heat up 2-1 in that series. It's been a uh, physical series thus far, Mike. And 9.30 tonight after that game on TNT is the Oklahoma City Thunder versus the Memphis Grizzlies. Grizzlies lead that series 2-1, Mike. Yeah, and where are we? We're in Memphis tonight, I believe. Yes, we are. In Memphis, and we're in uh, Chicago as well, correct? Yes, we are. All right, so what are your uh, – what, what, I should look up the lines on this, but le- while I'm doing that real quick, let me see if I can pull up the lines on it. Uh, what's your thinking, Jonathan? Which of these, if not both of them, will, might be coming out of here tied at – you know what? With the way all the series are going so far, Mike, I'm going to say both. You think both of them could? I think both of them have a good possibility of coming out tight today. I think the Bulls and the Thunder can win this. Uh, but I wouldn't be shocked if uh, the Heat and Grizzlies went up three games to one with the way they've been playing. So, Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't see – I personally don't see the um... – Hold on, I'm trying to find the line points. Uh I don't personally see the uh, the Bulls uh, tying this up. I, I think I think Miami. Now let's just see. If the Bulls continues to play a physical game but stays away from the fouls, unfortunately last game they were getting blown out and you got a guy, you know, a couple of guys that got kicked out. Um, so that was a mess. But if they could play the physical game, Mike, like they did when they won, and stay away from that foul trouble, that's something that he can't deal with. All right, let me give you the current lines. From Bavada right now, you've got uh, Miami is an eight-point favorite at Chicago. All right, Memphis is a four-and-a-half-point favorite over Oklahoma City. Ah, wow, man, who would have ever thought that? Mm-hmm. Seriously, who would have ever thought that? Because if you look at the rosters for both the Thunder and the Grizzlies, the Thunder have the much better roster, no doubt about it. They have yeah. the bench, they have everything, but... You know, as we spoke about Chucky Brown on our anniversary show this past Friday, episode 100. If you haven't listened to it, check it out in our archive here on Blog Talk Radio. 
it's the defensive aspect that the Grizzlies really upgraded in that trade deadline when they got rid of Rudy Gay, bringing in a guy like Tayshaun Prince. I mean, Marcus Ola is probably the best defensive center in the league right now, and uh, they're just playing phenomenal defense. I think that's what's really uh, separating the two right now. I think uh, some of what you're seeing here, too, particularly on the Memphis line, Jonathan, I think you're seeing a bit of the momentum that we've been talking about that's being built into these lines. I mean, make no mistake, uh, I I don't really believe that the bookmakers are sitting there with slide rules and copious, copious mountains of statistics. I think a lot of it is being dictated by, you know, gut feelings, where the money's coming in. Obviously, that's a big determinant in in which way the lines are moving. You know, where's the money falling on on these teams? Um but I, I really believe that what you're seeing here is you're seeing that kind of momentum thing that we've been talking about that I believe is on the Grizzlies' side uh, right from the first uh, round of the playoffs on. Yeah, I agree. Well, you know what? You could even say the same for the uh, Heat and Bulls, Mike. If the Bulls didn't win that one game, and this was the Heat team that we saw ring off all those wins in the regular season, it, it possibly could have been a 16-point uh, spread. Oh, I don't, yeah, possibly, I suppose. You know? I, I, eight points, though, is pretty high. That's a pretty high spread. You know, uh, I don't think so. Not for a team like the Miami Heat. Over a team that's missing their franchise player and is also missing their second best player and their best backup point guard. So, Well, let me ask you a question then since you just brought that up. If you were a betting person, are you going to play the line on this and take Miami tonight? Um, Yeah, yeah, I would. I would most definitely. You know, like I said, when we were talking to Chucky on Friday, Mike, and I said it to Chucky and he agreed with me, so that makes me feel even better about myself. Um, I said that Luol Deng and Kirk Heinrich being out is a much bigger deal to the Chicago Bulls team than Derrick Rose being out. Mm-hmm. And then Chucky went on to say that this team needs to um, get Derrick Rose, if he comes back, to learn how to play with them, not vice versa. Mm-hmm. Because he's been out for so long, and this team has an image right now of the way they're playing. Derrick Rose would need to play up to that. And I think with Luol Deng and Kirk Heinrich, and Kirk Heinrich has done a phenomenal job with Derrick Rose being out. He is one of the pieces of why the Bulls are in the NBA playoffs right now without Derrick Rose. Being out is the biggest, biggest deal of all for the Chicago team. Okay, right. No doubt about it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Who do you got winning tonight, Mike? Uh... If you were betting right now in both games, who would you put your money down on? Uh, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna tell you right now, Jonathan. If I were betting on this, yeah. and, I, and I'm playing the line, I would take the Heat, but I'm not taking them by eight. I think it's gonna be closer than that. So actually, I would probably, if I were betting the line, I'd have to bet Chicago. Uh, but holy, I, I, holy donut! <laughs> I would, I would, but I think my, I think Miami's gonna win it. Over on the other side, yeah. um, you know, I gotta tell you, uh, I think I would take Memphis on that one. And again, I'm gonna play the momentum line on that. Nice, very, very nice. All right, Michael, let's talk a little bit about these NHL playoffs because we had some games yesterday, real exciting ones as well. Uh, Razors with a huge 1-0 win over the Capitals. Henrik Lundqvist was just a beast as usual, Mike. Yeah. And I have to say, the guy I've been raving about, and when the trade happened, I pumped my fist and I was happy about it, and people told me I was a moron for doing so. Derek Broussard with the long goal last night. He has been playing phenomenal in this NHL playoffs for the Rangers. Um, Series now tied up 3-3. Game 7 tonight at 8 o'clock. On the other side of last night, Maple Leafs with a 2-1 win over the Bruins. Guess what? Game 7 tonight, I believe, as well, right? Correct. Uh, Very uh, kind of interesting. 
um, probably a result of the shortened season. Uh, but in both of these Game 7s, you're seeing them being played back-to-back. Yes. So they just got done playing yesterday, and we're going to turn right around with our Game 7s the very next night. I think that's actually going to be a very, very good thing for yesterday's winning teams, Mike. Uh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, because I'm going to throw you a I'm going to throw you the lines on these games in a moment sure. because I just happened to pull that well, up. Yeah, because we got one more, and that's exactly. the Red Wings in Game Seven defeating the Mighty Ducks. Well, I got to tell you, once were Mighty Ducks fourth uh, three to two. You know, this was the late game last night, Jonathan, yes. and uh, well, you know me, I'm a night owl. I watched this game. What a fabulous game this was! Let me tell you, Mike. I picked the Ducks to go forward. I think if the Red Wings were the Red Wings of a year or two ago with Nicholas Lidstrom and a couple other guys, I think they could have taken this series in five games, maybe six. Um, this Ducks team is looking damn good for next season already. Oh, I agree with you. Damn, damn good. I, uh, I think they're an up-and-coming team. I, and, I, and I'm sorry, but you know what? I hope Team Mussolini comes back for another year because he played phenomenal hockey this, this year. I'm going to tell you what I saw. Like, never misses a step. I'll tell you what I saw as the difference in this particular game last night, okay? And this was a game seven as well, all right? So this series was tied at three going into it. The difference was the Detroit defense. They were shutting down the Ducks at, at in the neutral zone or right up at the blue line. Yeah. They were not able to get uh, a lower penetration from the, uh, you know, from the face-off circle and in. And that was the difference was the uh, Detroit Red Wings uh, defense. Played them very, very well. Great game, very exciting. Uh, actually, uh, the Ducks came back and, and got their second goal uh, very, very late in the third period. Uh, I, I think there was maybe about two, three minutes left in the, uh, in the game uh, when, when uh, Anaheim actually got that uh, second goal and made it, you know, made it an interesting last two minutes of the game. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been a real exciting NHL playoff so far, Mike. And, you know, for the people who... Uh, you know, really say, oh, well, you know, playoff hockey or, you know, hockey in general is boring. No, 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 no. Watch NHL playoff hockey. Not playoff hockey. Yeah. You know, I I think it probably has more naysayers this year simply because of the whole shortened season thing. So if there's anybody out there actually talking against uh, NHL playoffs, it would be those folks that have just been down on hockey all year long. Yeah. Uh, The one thing, though, I, I did watch, and I didn't watch the entire game, I will say that, because we had other things going here at the frat house. Uh, as we usually do on, on Sunday, you know we had we had a little bit of the the Players Championship going, and I think we had the Phils game on and things like that. But the uh, Capitals and Rangers game was on. And while you give a lot of credit to Lundqvist, and he really was terrific, Holtby was not mad uh, by himself over on the other side with the uh, Capitals. Oh no, he, he hasn't well. been this whole series. No, he hasn't. No, he's been very very good, Holtby. Uh, he he as well had 27 saves. Lundqvist had 27 saves in the shutout. Holtby also had 27 saves. He only allowed the one goal in. He actually had 28 saves. Ah, correct. Yes. I think that dementia is setting in, Mike. (laughs) No, it's not dementia. (laughs) Jesus, God. (laughs) Dear Lord. Oh, man. Dementia of all things. But now, I have a question for you, Mike, relating to these playoffs, and that's the Toronto Maple Leafs. With Van Riemsdyk with another two assists yesterday, looking damn good this season for the Leafs, how much do you miss him over there with the Flyers? Oh, are you kidding me? You would know, you would you would you redo that trade and send Luke Shen back? You know, it, it, it's Luke Shen garbage. I'm sorry, he's it, garbage. It's an interesting it's an interesting thing. Uh, I, I think a lot of it at the particular time was a lot of uh, knee jerk reaction 
from the front office of the Philadelphia Flyers and as well from the fan base. Yeah. Who had watched uh, uh, Van Dreamstrike. Uh, we had watched him play very, very well in the playoffs the season before. And then he came in and he had a fairly good season last year. And then, you know, just didn't finish it up the way everybody kind of had anticipated. And I, I think there was a lot of there was a lot of chat, a lot of disgruntlement about his level of play because there was such high expectation from him coming off of the playoffs the year before. Yeah. And I think that's what actually did it. Would I make that trade? Listen, I wasn't in favor of that trade when they made it. No. Um, I understood. I was happy about it. I understood why they were making it. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, I understood the the move, uh, but I wasn't uh, a big fan of it, and I wasn't in favor of it. No. I mean, if you look at it, 32 points in, the, in a shortened season, you know, guy could have been a 64-point player if this was a full season, if not even more. Right. You right. Know, it's a shame. You know, it's a real shame for uh, Flyers fans because, well, not even the Flyers fans because most of them were going after Van Riemsdyk from the beginning. Correct. But, uh, you know, you know, he had a, you know, off season last season, only 43 games, but the season before, he was a 40-point player. You know, exactly. he won goals. Exactly. You know, now guess what? You ain't getting nobody giving you 21 goals. That, right. And, and see, I think that's where, I think that's where, uh, although, you know, if you, if you go to my analysis of it, uh, I did not necessarily list losing JVR as one of the big, big things that the Flyers lost, which is why they didn't have the season that they expected. The two big things that I mentioned consistently throughout the season was the loss of Pronger and the loss of uh, Yager. Yeah, it was, it was, listen, man, it was that defense. Correct. The defensive spectrum of the whole thing out in Philadelphia has been awful. But going to tonight's games, here's how Bavada's got it listed at this particular time right now. Boston is a puck-and-a-half favorite to beat Toronto tonight in Game 7. And the Washington Capitals are a puck-and-a-half favorite to beat the Rangers. Oh, no! <laughs> uh, no, I actually, uh, it's 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 going to be a tough one. Um, you know, Rangers offense has just not been there, and that seems to be the case all the time, Mike. Oh, all right, man. Let's get into a little bit of an MLB update here. Let's look at the standings uh, out in Yale East. Mike, the Yankees have a one-game lead now over Baltimore in first place, 23-13. and 13. Get that uh, manager of the year trophy shined up for jo- jo- Joe Girardi, man. Five. Right now he deserves it. Five wins in a row right now for the uh, uh, for the Yankees. And, uh, in fact, I think, uh, what was it, three or four of those were against Kansas City. Yep. Which has yep. dropped Kansas City down into third place. In, Absolutely. Uh, which is out in the AL Central, Kansas City. It, actually, they're tied for second, Mike. One and a half game out. Tied for first, though, is the Cleveland Indians and the Detroit Tigers. Cleveland Indians are now 8-10 and ten in their last 10, Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, AL West, Texas has a six-game lead now, Mike, in first place. We saw uh, that. Yeah, yeah, Texas has got a six-game lead. They've uh, Actually, they've been incredibly hot themselves, seven and three in their last ten. Yep. Uh, so, you know, look at look at – take a look at the top of your divisions there in the American League. Yankees and Baltimore both seven and three. Cleveland eight and two in their last ten. Texas seven and three. It's no wonder that these teams are leading their divisions. Absolutely. Oh, let's look in the NL now. Uh, out in the NL East, Mike, uh, Atlanta is in first place with a one-game lead over the Nationals. In your Phillies in third, four games out, Mike. Continuing to cool off are the Atlanta Braves. Make no mistake about it. I've been saying it since, uh, well, I guess for at least the better part of the last two and a half to three weeks. Watch Washington. They're going to be coming up. Yep, absolutely. 
NL Central, St. Louis with a two-game lead over Cincinnati. As I keep saying, Mike, I see, I expect that to change by the end of the season. Eight and two, St. Louis in their last ten. Seven and three, Cincinnati. Yes, indeed. Uh, you and I've talked about the Central Division. Uh, I think probably one of the most competitive, along with the West. Absolutely. And in the West, San Francisco with a two-game lead over Arizona for first place in the NL West. Mike, seven and three as well in their last ten. A lot of seven and three teams. Yes, there are. Yes, there are. Seven and three teams. Well, Mike, real quick, uh, I just want to throw this out here. Our 100th episode on Friday was sponsored by our good friends over at the Women's Indoor Football League, the WIFL. Played a little bit of a commercial on Friday. Would like to play that again for everybody who didn't get to either listen into our 100 show or if you're interested in playing women's tackle football and you'll be paid to play, Mike, which is awesome for these girls because, as we know, in a lot of other leagues, these girls aren't getting paid. Right. So, here we go. Hi, I'm Kylie Fainall of the WIFL. I want to tell all of you about the next generation of women's athletics. The Women's Indoor Football League is the first professional women's organization where the athletes get paid for what they bring to the field. The WIFL is currently holding its first nationwide tryout tour. Don't miss your chance to be a part of professional football history. Go to www.wiflfootball.com to find the tryout closest to you. And don't forget to check out great workout gear from Respect the Sweat at respecttheswet.com. Thank you, Kylie Fainel of the WIFL. Welcome, Motley Crue in the back, man. So do I. A little bit of, uh, I wouldn't say breaking news, but uh, news right out of the uh, newswire right now, Mike. Uh, Bill's announced that Buddy Nix has stepped down as general manager of the team. Okay. Ah, will they ever get a GM that actually knows what he's doing, Mike? <laughs> you know, knowing that what they did with Fitzpatrick and who they brought in in Kevin Cobb and now drafting E.J. Manuel, don't you think if they knew he was eventually going to leave that they wouldn't have let him do those moves? Well, yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, is that – the timing doesn't quite seem right, does it? I mean, you just came through the draft. Wouldn't you have made that move prior to the draft? Yeah. Wouldn't you have made that move at the end of the season? Yeah. I, 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 I you, you gotta wonder. I mean, they're they're. It would seem to me. I guess we'll have to just wait on that one. We'll we'll see. <laughs> it seems to me there's got to be more to the story, wouldn't you think? Yeah, maybe Phil Jackson will take over as GM. <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about Phil Jackson. Oh yeah. And listen, make no mistake. Phil Jackson probably has somebody out there putting his word out, putting his name out there for for that position. For because for God's <laughs> sake, we've. We've, well, we've heard his name brought up with every other stinking position that's out there. Well, did I tell you that he's actually uh, thinking about coming out here as our producer? Well, you know, I wouldn't mind that. Is he going to bring us some money? I'll just steal his rings and sell them. Oh, I'll pawn them. You know, if he brings, if he, if he comes, if he comes, you know, bearing a bearing a suitcase full of cash, I'll take it. Maybe I'll steal his rings and sell them to some of our Nixon '76s players. What? So we can say we have a few? Yeah. All right, uh, before we get into the next uh, little piece of news here, I just want to remind everybody that on Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern time, we will be joined by St. Louis Rams punter and phenom from last, r- rookie phenom from last season, Johnny Hecker, will be here with us, Mike. Yep. It's going to be fun. Get That's to gonna uh, be- talk to a punter about the whole punting position and uh, life as a punter, and also he was one of the most prolific punters, Mike, in Oregon State history. 
Yeah, this is, it is going to be fun. It's going to be a really that should be a really neat uh, a neat uh, chat that we have with him. Yeah, yeah, Johnny's a nice kid, man. So it's uh, going to be fun to uh, speak with him. You know, Mike, we always talk to wide receivers. We talk to quarterbacks. You know, you never really hear from the punter. Well, you hear it, from the kicker, but you never hear from the punter. And yeah. I'm sorry, but the punter, there's a lot of pressure on that guy. You know? Uh-huh, yeah. So I know well, – uh, your Bill Parcells asking really don't care about punters, Mike. But I don't know if you recall this or not, Jonathan. But uh, there was a couple of weeks there, yeah, uh, beginning of last season. <clears throat> excuse me. After he went through uh, a series of of weeks where I mean he was just a standout. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, his jersey zoomed up to like within the top five selling jerseys across the NFL. Really? Yes. Wow, I didn't know that. I will find that. I will find that article, and we will have that ready to go for uh, Wednesday. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It is actually. It was. It was. It was amazing. Really, really cool. Yeah, we definitely got to uh, find that and talk. I will find that piece. I will find that piece. Yep. Cool. All right, Mike. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about this former NBA coach and now current Rutgers University head coach uh, Eddie Jordan. Um, as we all know, was hired by Rutgers, uh, what, just not even a month ago, right, Mike? Yeah. Um, and now um, Rutgers is back in, uh, I, I guess, the hot water because Eddie Jordan never graduated, um, even though it's put down that he was graduating, supposedly told the university that he did graduate from college, Mike. Um, you read this. Um, what do you think of the whole thing? Yeah, well, he apparently had made multiple statements publicly, uh, and one of them, the last one of those, was actually when he was introduced as the new head coach for uh, Rutgers, uh, where he made a comment, something to the effect of, and hold on a moment here because I thought I had this article open, and I I actually don't, Um, uh, where he actually made the comment, uh, something to the effect of Rutgers, you know, Rutgers was a great place to, 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 to get my degree, something to that effect. Yeah. Um, you got to wonder why, 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 why are we lying about this? You know, it's not a big deal. First of all, there's no NCAA reg that indicates that coaches have to be uh, degreed. There, you know, it's not like there's there's anything to hide here. Apparently, he fell some credit short. Yeah, he only had 103 credits, Mike, which wasn't sufficient enough to graduate. Yeah, but we're not talking. Apparently, it wasn't. It wasn't like we were seriously deficient. You know, we were talking uh, a number of credits that could have been made up and, and could still be made up, I would assume. Uh, you know, why the big deal about this? I don't understand why we would be, you know, hiding this or, or, or trying to, you know, uh, lie about it. I don't get it. I don't understand what the what the motive would be. I'm sorry, but you know what? You're going there to coach college kids. I, I don't think that's necessarily uh, already a good role model, you know. Are you serious? I don't know. I mean, dude, he's lying about graduating. What, what was the sense of it? Well, dude, I'm going to tell you something. With so many, uh, with so many guys coming out of college after only one year yeah. or two years, okay, going directly into the NBA. Which I'm and I, I'm against that. I've always I'm, been against that. Well, no, I hear you, but yeah. I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to have a real hard time fielding coaches in the in the in the near future if that's going to be your stand on and it. That's why you know what, and I give a lot of credit to the guys who you know. And the off season of the NBA continue to go to college to finish up. You know, I give a ton of credit to them, and that's one of the things. Uh, back in, um, I gotta see what year that draft was. I believe it was the '96 draft. 
and da, 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 no, it was 2001 draft. I'm sorry. But when Shane Battier came into the NBA, Mike, right? everybody talked about how stupid he was for staying his fourth year at Duke and graduating and getting his degree because it dropped his stock so much in the NBA. I thought that was one of the most ridiculous things, and I gave so much respect for Shane Batty to say, no, my education is more important than me going into the NBA. I'll be in the NBA next year. Let me finish my degree while I'm here. And everybody blasted him about it, Mike. Well, don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm right there with you. Yeah. I am, I'm right there in your corner. It's, it's, you know, it's the money. It entices these kids to, well, you when know. You, when, you heard me with, when you heard me with Chucky Brown on Friday, I brought this up again. I brought it up with other uh, NBA types. Yeah. Uh, I believe I brought it up with uh, when we had on um, uh, oh, who, who was the other one who was involved in education, um, a former NBA player. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I made the comment on, on, on Friday that, uh, you know, one of the reasons I despise Calipari is because he refuses. Not only does he, just, you know, not only does he kind of throw his hands up in the air and go, well, there's nothing I can do about it. He actually encourages these kids. Hey, yeah. if you think you're ready to go, go ahead. I'm not going to stop you. Make the move. Yeah. And I think it's I think that's nonsense. So I'm I'm writing your I'm writing your in your corner. But yeah, I'm sorry, thing. but that should be one of the qualifications to be a coach for a college team is to say, listen, you can't tell these kids, oh, if you think you're ready, just go. You have to teach them because that's what they are. There, they're teachers, Mike. Oh, on top of being coaches, you need to teach them that, guess what? You could possibly get drafted into the NBA, but you know what? You may not be there next year in the NBA. Well, I, what are you going to do after that? You know? okay. there, What's the next year or two in college if you can, like Shane Battier, and I'm sorry, all of the people from that 2001 draft, probably 90, 95% of them aren't even in the NBA anymore, and yet here's Shane Battier, 11 years later, 12 years later, and... He's got all these accomplishments in the NBA. Plus, he's got his degree. When he's done with NBA, with the with the with the NBA, Mike, he can go and do whatever he wants to do now. You're preaching to the choir. Yeah, okay. You know. However, I'm going to bring up a couple of things just to counteract what you're saying there. Number one, coaches technically really can't sit there and you know force their their their, their players slash students. Excuse me to stay in to stay in uh, school. Uh, they it's not, it, it's, they it's not making them stay, but you get, should be able to say, "Listen, you guys really need to think about correct that B, you know. But since there's no NCAA reg that stops them after only one year from leaving, so many of them are going to try to make that move. Yeah. Now, what we're and, and make no mistake, there are coaches out there like uh, Mike Shashevsky over at Duke that encourage their their, their players to stay. Yeah. Jim Calhoun uh, up at UConn used to as well. There yeah. are a number of other coaches that well. Uh, Rick Pitino oh, at, at Louisville is a firm believer in students staying in. Yeah. Calipari, however, on the other hand, takes a very outspoken stand to the extent that he goes, hey, uh, you know, I can't do anything about it, so guess what? If if they think they're ready to go, I'm not going to stop. Them. Because you know what, you know what, his players going into the NBA and you know pot- you know potentially becoming you know star players in the league. That you know, I'm I'm sorry, that's you know that's an image thing for you know Calipari. I'm yeah, never a fan of him. So. I don't see how you can I don't see how you can in fact think that because look what look what a team look what a lot of these collegiate teams are dealing with. They're dealing with constant turnover. Yeah. If you're going to have players coming in and only playing for one year and then making the move to the NBA. 
That that puts stress on their constant recruitment effort to be making sure that they're getting players in of the same caliber, if not better. How do you win championships when you have a constant when you have a team that's constantly turning over? I don't know. You know what? And like Chucky said, I think there should at least be a three-year minimum. Correct. You know, I, you know what? If you want to go after your junior year, that's when you should be eligible for the draft. I don't right. think – you know what? And with a lot of these players, Mike, and I'm going to tell you this right off the bat, and I firmly believe this, this is why the players come into the league, a lot of them, their maturity level is still near childish. Which is why you see so many issues. Exactly. And right. stupid stuff happening on the court. Right. You know, and it's just, I, I, I don't know. It needs to be changed, and I think the first people to really speak up about this, Mike, and, 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 and I wholeheartedly believe this, it should be the NBA. Guess what? You're not allowed to come to us unless you're a three-year eligible player. I, I would agree with you. Yeah. And, in fact, we've talked about this before. And, in fact, I think I actually even posted up an article uh, just a couple of, well, it was probably a couple of weeks ago during the NCAA tournament over on our Frat House Sports Facebook page where, in fact, there has been pressure being placed on the NBA, specifically Stern at the time. Of course, he's probably not going to make a move on it now because he's on the way out the door. But there was a pressure being placed on him to, in fact, institute something similar to what the NFL has. Yeah. But, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, Jonathan, I don't think you're going to see it. No. That's just my personal opinion. I don't think you're going to see it. There's been a lot of guys who were in, I believe, just one year of college. I believe, like, you know, guys like Greg Oden was, right? Look at that guy. You know, look at Dunn. Let Before throw, it even began. Let me throw a dilemma at you, which was being brought up on one of the other talk radio programs that I was listening to just last week, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the topic was about uh, NBA, the quality of NBA players. And you would think, you would think that with so many collegiate teams out there, so many of them, I mean, I'm not just talking Division One. you've got Division Two and three schools. Yeah. With so many. Why is it that the NBA has such difficulty, and I believe there is some difficulty in doing this, fielding a really quality, what are we talking, 15-man roster? Yeah. Why? Why do they have so much issue with it? When you've got, I mean, this isn't the NFL where they're... Simple basics, man. You know, know, I'm sorry, but I think a lot of these players that come out after three to four years of college, they've learned how to be sound, fundamentally sound, all-around players. You know, I think these guys who are going in right away, I mean, listen, you can't play high school basketball on the professional level. It's two totally different games. You know, I think one year of college basketball really doesn't do anything for you. Oh, I might agree with you. You know? I mean, you look at all these guys that have been, you know, one-and-done players. Um, you know, as of late, there's a couple others that have been, you know, r- you know, really good. You know, we could talk about Derrick Rose. We could talk about Kevin Love. Um, you know, Tyreek Evans, Marcus Cousins. But look, you know what? There you go. Prime example, DeMarcus Cousins, his attitude stinks. He's always in trouble, the guy. You know, there is no maturity level there, you know. But then there are others who did, like, you know, Kyrie Irving, you know, he's got a good attitude, but it's always that one rare player. Oh, guess what? I could be a Kyrie Irving. No, you you know what? You can't be a Kyrie Irving because Kyrie Irving is Kyrie Irving, you know. But there's so many other names on here, Mike, that you could throw out of, of people whose careers either amounted to nothing or they can't even get any playing time. You know, that's Brandon Wright, uh, DeQuain Cook, uh, Anthony Randolph, J.J. Hickson, Costa Kufa. I, you know, there's just so many people who've been, who've been one-and-done players. And, uh, you know, it's got to stop. It just it, it boggles my mind when you yeah. consider for a moment that there are just as many 
if not – there might even be fewer, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, football programs, collegiate football programs. Yeah. And yet NFL teams are able to field – what are they putting out? Is it a 45-man roster now? Is it 47? Yeah. I forget exactly what the number now is. It seems to go up every single year. But they're able to field rosters with enormous numbers of players, okay, over 32 teams, and yet the NBA has difficulty with what I believe, I believe, I would venture a bet, that there are more basketball programs in the collegiate ranks than there are, than there are football. Because I could, I could rattle off for you at least three or four right off the top of my head schools that have a basketball program but do not have a football program. Yeah. Let me tell you this, Mike. I'm going to name a couple of players to you that stayed in school an entire four years, and you could see it in their maturity level compared to the players that didn't. And these are the guys that you're going to still hear about 12 years from now in the NBA. you got Kenneth Fareed from the Denver Nuggets, Damian Lillard, who was Rookie of the Year this year for the Portland Trailblazers, phenomenal player, David Lee, former Nick and now at the Golden State Warriors, uh, Tayshawn Prince, who's still in the league, Mike, four-year player over at Kentucky. Danny Granger, unfortunately, always injured, but you could see his maturity level. Shane Battier, most of all, four years at Duke. Then you also got Steve Nash, and you got Tim Duncan, Mike. Mm-hmm. You know, these are names that you're going to know, and these are names you're always going to remember. But these one-and-done players, most of them, probably a good chunk of them, 90 to 95% of them, you'll never hear about it. You also got guys like uh, Kirk Heinrich, uh Jared Dudley, who's playing with the Suns right now, Jameer Nelson, Darren Collison. These are guys that will always be in the league because I think it's their maturity level that helps them become a fundamentally sound player all around. Offensive, defenses, they learn how to know the game from the books. You know, It's a shame, but honestly, it's 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 got to be three years. I, I really think it. I do too, but I'm wondering if that could ever happen now that we've gone this far with it. No, it's not going to happen, and I'm sorry, but I think letting high school players into the NBA, too, is, is is just a real joke. I agree. Real, real joke. Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. All right, Mike, uh, funny story of the day. Uh, a drunk guy writes an uh, email to uh, Erica Rez over at the NBA and also uh, Commissioner David Stern, and he says, uh, hey, you know, I wish to declare myself for the uh, NBA draft this year, and I graduated in uh, 2010 from the University of Miami. You know, please give me all the paperwork so I can make myself eligible, Mike. <laughs> and the great thing is Andy Tobb over at the NBA, the vice president, wrote, wrote him back, and he says, we received your letter. And, um, you know, according to your letter, you graduated college in 2010. As a result, you were eligible for the draft immediately. So you've been eligible for the draft uh, three years ago. But now you're a free agent to any eligible NBA team that wants to sign you. <laughs> I thought that was really cool that Andy Tobb took the time out to uh, write this guy an email and send him a letter in the U.S. mail, Mike. To explain to him, yeah, yeah, to explain to him the, the rules, which, if this guy was legit, he would have known. Yes, which is funny. No, listen, I think Andy Tom knew the guy wasn't legit. I knew he knew something was up there. I think it's great that he did this. I think it was very funny. I think it was very, um, you know, opened your mind a little bit to see that these executives actually have some type of a sense of humor, Mike, and. uh I gotta tell you, man. If I was this guy out, out from Hoboken, New Jersey, I believe he lives in, um, I I would frame this because huh. that's that's hilarious. Frame it. Well, it might be. <laughs> I would frame it, put up, and say, "Listen, this is what happens when you're a drunk moron." Uh, well, uh, you know, we've talked about it so many times before. He just got his 15 seconds of fame. Yeah, I thought it was funny. Oh, uh, it's real funny. It's ridiculous. It is, but it's funny. 
All right, man. <laughs> I like John. John. John's in the room, and I said the drunk guy should uh, really call this guy's bluff and actually go try out for one of the NBA teams next year. Well, why not? Or try out for the uh, developmental league. Yeah, exactly. Why not? Funny stuff. All right, Mike. Uh, we talked a lot about the Jets drafting Geno Smith. We've spoken a lot about the Jets' um, competition at quarterback and also the uh, circus-like uh, atmosphere at the quarterback position. And um, coming out today was uh, word that Geno Smith has been so um, good so far at the rookie camp and really opening a lot of eyes up with um, his perfectionist style of you know holding you know team meetings with just the rookies and no coaches or anybody involved. Talking about, you know, how today was a mess and we need to be better tomorrow and all this other stuff. Really trying to, I guess, coach them through it as he is the top draft pick, uh, you know, one of the top draft picks for the Jets this year. But now they're saying that it's his job to lose now. That's how confident they are in Geno Smith right now and that's how good he has looked so far. Um, Now they're saying, um, I I believe it's the New York Post saying, and also Peter uh, King writing it too, that, um, you know, it, it looks very well that before week one, it could, uh, you know, Mark, Chance, Mark Sanchez could either be cut or traded, Mike. Sure. I don't see him getting traded, though. He's got too much money. I don't think nobody will take that. Um, at the same time, if they cut him, that's a lot of money that they're going to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, from what you're reading lately, or I, I, I don't know if you have read it, though, about everybody really all of a sudden talking very highly about Geno Smith and what a perfectionist is he's actually taking rookies over to the side and trying to coach them through the rookie camps as well. You know, as I told you on draft night, is this Geno Smith trying to, uh, you know, really screw over the naysayers and uh, trying to be a mature guy now? All right. Well, uh, let's put the brakes on, okay? Uh, it's real, real early. And with all due respect, yeah. we're hearing this kind of thing from other camps around the country. Um, I'll give you just a personal. We're hearing this from from Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, you know Matt Barkley, who's a fourth round draft pick. Let's get that one straight. Uh, you know everybody's uh, you know gushing over him yeah. after he's taken the field for a matter of what two days, three days, yeah. and he's had no competition because it was a rookie mini camp for God's sake. And I think so far up in up up there at uh, up there at, at Jet Camp, it's been the same thing. I don't yeah. think you've had full team OTAs yet. Yeah. I know that uh, the Eagles are having a full team OTA today. So today is the first time we're actually going to see some of the other regulars. And these aren't even mandatory OTAs. These are these are uh, the uh, you know uh, uh, voluntary ones. Yeah. So you know we we probably won't even see the whole team now. I don't know when. Well, I don't know what the Jet schedule is. Uh, but I, I would say just let's hold off on this for, for a little bit yet before we go jump in the Yeah, line. but see, now you're talking I about think, quarterbacks that have absolutely no chance of starting in the NFL this season. Oh, I don't know about that. All right, name one quarterback who's going to start in the NFL this season. Matt Barkley? I, I wouldn't. I, I, I Listen, Jonathan, I'm not saying they will. I'm not saying they won't. Okay? And and I don't know if you – you know, let's not forget, Geno Smith was, was considered to be a top five pick. Where did the Jets pick him up? They picked him up in the second round. So I don't know if you even have any guarantee that Geno Smith is going to be starting this year with the Jets. So that's well, why I'm saying that. I don't, I don't know if he'll start right off the bat, but I think he's going to play this year. Well, and listen, there, there are many who believe that, in fact, Matt Barkley will play this year I've, as well for the Eagles. I haven't heard anybody say that about Matt Barkley. Oh, no, we, we listen, I listen to a lot of Philadelphia sports. Yeah, so right I haven't heard anybody say and, that. And a lot of people have said that, in fact, 
they they think that Matt Barkley, you know, it's that he will be the first one that will be coming off the bench if in fact uh uh, uh Michael Vick were to go down and the belief is Michael Vick will go down at some point. So, <laughs> you know, uh, but I'm I'm just saying I think that what we've got here right now is just and and, and I I'm not saying that the, that you know, the Jets media are 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 exclusively guilty of it. I I I think it's going on in other areas around the country, and that is that there's a lot of hype, a lot of talk about uh uh you know, a, a lot of projecting into the future that you just got to just kind of hold off on and wait and see whether it's going to go that way. Yeah. I'm not convinced either, and I'll say this. Uh, I would have said last year that there was no way that the Jets could have traded traded Sanchez. I'm not sure if I necessarily concur with that now. Mm-hmm. All right? I understand that he's owed $8 million. Or I think it's actually over $8 million. 8.75. Okay, so it's almost nine, actually. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you, and you know this as well as I do, Jonathan, that quarterback position, there's a lot of need for it out there from other teams. And I could see a team, you know, getting to uh, training camps in August yeah. or maybe even going through uh, a preseason game or two and then making uh, a move to try to trade for uh, Sanchez. So I'm not saying Sanchez is going to be your starting quarterback. I'm not saying he won't be your starting quarterback. I don't know. But I wouldn't be so quick as to say that that it would be impossible that a team would actually trade for him. That's just my personal opinion. I don't think anybody's going to trade for him. I don't think anybody will. Well, that's, that's why I'm saying. I think you have to wait and see how things are going to play I, out. I, I, honestly, there's not many teams out there with a need for quarterback that'll take a $9 million quarterback on you that is having a lousy time throwing the ball. Unless it's the Oakland Raiders, but I don't see anybody else doing it. You know, especially with the uh, cheaper alternatives out there, Mike, that are probably just as good, if not just as bad, as Mark Sanchez. <laughs> well, you might have just used the word. Jeff. Yeah, Tim Tim Tebow being one of them. He was a lot cheaper, and nobody wanted him. So, you know, actually, what was he? Eight million dollars cheaper. Um, I I don't know what were they paying Tebow. You'd have to tell me. I, Tebow was like one little yeah. over a million, I think. Yep, yep, yeah. something to that effect. Yeah, if nobody wanted him off the uh, trade block, and he was that cheap. I, I don't see how a $9 million quarterback that nobody wants that everybody's talking crap about is going to be uh, traded, you know, and somebody eating that money. Don't see it, but... Well, now you're talking crap about it. What happened? You're talking crap about it. I, I've, I've, I've always been a Mark Sanchez supporter, and yeah, I... That's, I, 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 that's why I'm sitting here scratching my head a little bit. And, and listen, uh, I'm I'm being logical right now, and, and I, I I solely blame the entire team. I don't put nothing on the back of Mark Sanchez, but the last two years, he's been set up to fail with the New York Jets. In the same way that the New York Jets have ruined Tim Tebow's career, Mike, I think it's going to come down to it where nobody's going to want Sanchez, and guess what? The Jets just ruined his career. Totally believe it. I'm, I'm not, listen, I, I two years in a row, he led them to an AFC championship game. And all of a sudden, he's had two terrible years because Mike Tannenbaum decided to play Dr. Frankenstein with the Jets roster. And then Woody Johnson decided to get in on it this year. I don't blame Mark Sanchez. Which is why I feel that there would be a team out there, unlike Tebow, I think there might be a team out there that would be willing to give Mark Sanchez a, a, a shot to see whether, in fact, he's capable of doing anything. Jonathan, we, you and I talked about the whole Mark Sanchez thing repeatedly during the NFL season last year, and we said, 
we said that the, the, the offense was not designed for him, that, that they were not utilizing him correctly, that they obviously had no confidence in him. Let him get to a team where he could potentially flourish, and let's see what he's capable of doing. You, if he turns out to be a bust somewhere else, well, then, then, the, then the jury's in. For Mark Sanchez to succeed, just like he did in the first two years with the New York Jets, you need a team with a very, very, very strong, if not Pro Bowl-type offensive line. And guess what? Those teams are a team like the Denver Broncos. They already have a quarterback. Mm-hmm. You know, Those teams are like the New York Giants. Guess what? They already have a quarterback. The other teams that could potentially somewhat get a quarterback, the teams all around suck, Mike. It's just going to be almost the same exact thing for Mark Sanchez wherever he goes, if he goes anywhere, that it is with the New York Jets. Like I said, I the, the Jets set him up to fail from day one, Mike. Totally believe it. Let's talk a little bit about our uh, favorite people over here, Mike, the Maloof brothers. Um, we've been covering this story for uh, probably a couple of months now with the uh, sale of the Sacramento Kings possibly uh, being moved out to Seattle and becoming the Supersonics again. And Adam Blue Brothers are saying that they will only sell this team to Chris Hansen and the Seattle group, Mike. Mm-hmm. Nobody else. So if somebody else came out and said, guess what? We will buy this team for the price that the Seattle team wants to buy and keep them in Sacramento, that'll be a no-go for the Maloofs. Right. They only want to sell to Chris Hansen and his Seattle group. My question to you is, if this trend continues, will the Sacramento Kings stay in Sacramento? Uh the uh, the thing that's bothering me here, uh, hold on a moment. I'm having a little issue with my. There we, we there. Yeah. Okay. All right. I was just having a little issue with my one computer. Uh, the, the thing that bothers me here on this one is that this is an obvious attempt by the Maloofs, as usual, and and you know I made reference to them pre-show as uh, probably the uh, second, maybe the third most hated, in my opinion, hated uh, ownership group in all of. Sports. Yeah, well, yeah, now they are, most definitely. In the 90s, they weren't. Um, th- th- this, you know, essentially what they're doing is they're going to hold uh, Sacramento and Seattle, and let's not, let's make no mistake about it, they're holding the NBA hostage. Yeah. I mean, what, what else do you want to call it? It's extortion. Oh, yeah. For all intent and purpose, that is what this is. It is extortion. I find it despicable that the original relocation committee of the NBA has indicated that they will sit down now and reevaluate this. Look, you made your you they they made their decisions. You and I were both a little bit surprised by it that it came back being unanimous. Yeah. I think we reported that what about 10 days ago. Yeah. And now all of a sudden because of the circumstances here, everybody's going, "Oh, oh, oh, oh wait a minute, wait a minute, wait." Owners are supposed to be deciding this week. If I'm not mistaken, I believe it's Thursday. Well, you know what? I guarantee you a lot of those Unanimous votes are going to change. You're darn right they are. Because of the $115 million that they now offer to the NBA owners as a relocation fee. That that comes up to about $4 million per owner now, Mike. When Seattle, when Seattle moved to Oklahoma City, the Oklahoma City owners only offered $30 million. Yeah, Working out to way under a million for all of the teams. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to buy off. Huh? The the owners. Oh yeah. While at the same time we've got the Maloofs holding everybody up for extortion. Yeah. Well, it seems to me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, 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 it's disgusting. Yeah. Uh, you know, you couldn't get, you wouldn't be able to get away with this kind of uh, a business practice in just about any other business. Yeah. You'd be brought up on charges. 
business world, Mike, this happens every day, unfortunately. Frequently not legally. Oh, is, is any business move legal? Well, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. These millionaires. You're going to tell me that these guys do legal things on it every day. I wouldn't paint with such a broad brush. No but freaking way. This is a. I'm sorry. I I I have a problem with it, and I have a problem with the NBA uh, indicating that they're going to go in and reexamine it. I think you leave it alone at this point. The relocation committee made their decision. Leave that alone. Just let it go straight to the owners now. Yeah. I think like that they're paying a hundred million dollars over the value of the team now, <laughs> and at the same time, still build a crazy arena or whatever upgrade the one that they existed that you know that they already have. I mean, the NFL, you know what? The NBA owners are going to turn around and say, "Wow, this 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 guy Chris Hansen is going to put a lot of money into our pockets right off the bat." That's yep. actually $4 million for each NBA team, Mike. Yep. You know, teams that are terrible are drooling for that money right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, honestly, who who are some of the worst NBA teams this year? Uh, you know, the, the Cats, the uh, the well, Washington Wizards, the Orlando Magic, the Phoenix Suns, the T-Wolves, the New Orleans Hornets. 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 You know what they could do with that extra $4 million? Yeah. A lot of money. Uh, I you know, look, I I I get what the Hanson Group and what the Maloose are trying to do. I get it. That's fine. Yeah. I just say here, here's where I come down on it. The relocation committee should not be reexamining it. No. Leave it alone. Get it. Let it go direct to the owners and let it go on course the way that it was originally scheduled to go, and let the owners make the decision at the end of that. Now, yeah, you know, frankly, I think you're going to get the same result regardless. Yeah. That's that's my personal opinion. Like I said before, Mike, as much as I would love to see the Seattle Sonics back because them leaving was just a, a big screw-up by the NBA for not keeping them in uh, Seattle. You know, what is, what is, I don't want to see it come down to the point where it it, it, it is the Sacramento Kings moving there. You, you know, why doesn't the NBA just come clean? Why don't the owners just come clean? Let's. How about we do that? We get Stern and all the owners to come up. Stand them up on a stage, have a press conference, and why don't they all just be honest and say, hey, you know something? Here it is, folks. Sacramento, screw you. Yeah. We're taking the team and we're moving to Seattle. Why don't they just do that and be honest instead of having all this backroom kind of bull crap going on where they're, oh, oh, well, it's this one. Oh, it's that one. Oh, we don't know how we're going to do it. We'll, we'll vote on it. Yeah, you know, bull. Yeah, absolutely. But – you know, with the Maloof there and with the fans not supporting their team, would they even be in this situation right now as well? So, all right, Mike, uh, let's talk about the biggest, the bigger BS story of the day. Um, according to ESPN.com's Mark Stein, Phil Jackson supposedly wants to wait until a resolution here with the uh, Sacramento Kings sale because he's hit it off so good with Chris Hansen that he would like to be the new team president of the Sonics if they return. I still think it's BS. I don't think we'll ever see Phil Jackson in the NBA again. Well, I, you know, it, it is difficult to believe. And, you know, this he's become the John Gruden of, of the NBA, make no mistake. I mean, every time a position opens up, uh, I mean, you know, his name comes up. I mean, to me, the most laughable one is that Toronto uh, is actually trying to reach out to Phil Jackson. If anybody thinks for one second that Phil Jackson would waste his time going up to Toronto, that, that that's ridiculous. So, you know, what are you smoking? Yeah. Um, I... I Listen, considering everything that we just said, though, Jonathan, about how the Hansen group up there in Seattle is manipulating everything so greatly here, I don't find this story to be so completely outrageous or outlandish. We're yeah. talking about 
Jackson not taking a coaching position. We're talking about him becoming, I believe, president, yeah, president of the, of the organization. Yep. So I don't find this particular story to be so completely outrageous in light of everything we just got done, gotten done talking about with Seattle. I don't believe it. Number one, I mean, it's I Bill Jackson. Like, he can I have his pick of any NBA team he wants to work for, Mike. Anyone. And I still firmly believe that if he could have his choice of any any NBA team, he would have became head coach or even president of the New York Knicks when it was up for grabs. You know, that's his old team. He, well, you know, he won a championship with them as a player. Maybe he'd want to win as a coach. You know, I certainly understand your apprehension, and I yeah. think everybody should have apprehension because, as I just pointed out, this guy is the John Gruden of the uh, of the NBA. I, I mean, every time something comes up. Everybody's saying, oh, Phil Jackson. Oh, Phil ja-. I mean, here we go again in Philadelphia where people are saying, oh, maybe we can get Phil Jackson for our coach. Come on, folks, wake up. It's yeah. not going to happen. All right, and I understand everybody's cynicism about that. I, I, I'm not saying, however, with this particular case that it would be completely impossible because, as we just pointed out, you're saying he could have had his pick of any team, any team in the NBA. Well, listen, who wouldn't want to go to a team like Seattle right now where obviously this team is so flush and so ready to just throw money at a situation, yeah. Yeah. you know, why not? Why not go here? Obviously, they're going to try to buy their way to a championship. Absolutely. But now here's where I go with this one, Mike. Just because he was a phenomenal NBA head coach, and I have to say it, thanks to guys like Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Shaquille Neal, and Kobe Bryant, does not make him be a great basketball president. Oh, I would agree. I still think that if it does go to Seattle – that they will bring in somebody that has experience to build a winning team, like a Donnie Walsh. That's 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 where I stand on it, and why I think it's BS. Oh, I, I I would agree with you. I I, I you know one does not equate to the other. You're absolutely yeah. right there. Uh, you know we've seen we've seen this kind of mistake. If they said that he was waiting to coach the team, that I could believe, Mike. But yeah. I still say that we won't see him in the NBA again. So yeah, we yeah I. Listen, I'm inclined to lean in your direction as well, that I don't think you're going to. But this particular opportunity... It's a good opportunity. ...would not surprise me. Let's put it that way. This one more than anything else I've heard up to this point. This one would surprise me more that they would pay this much money to get this team to Seattle and then hire an inexperienced guy to try to build a winning team. They're not going to look at it that way. They're going to look at it as, hey, we've got Phil it's, it's name. It's name. Exactly. It's about the money. They're going to look at it as, we've got Phil Jackson, and that's what's going to put butts in the seats. Yep. That's what it's about. It's about a name. But he's not going to be on the bench. He's going to be up in the rafters. Nobody's going to see him. It doesn't matter. They're going to be bringing his name up all the time. Eh, I don't know. I think it's a stupid move. you got to hire somebody experienced to win. So, All right, Mike. That's it for today's 101 episode. And I guess Wednesday is 102, so it's time to get close yep. to 200 now. 102. 102. So, one by St. Louis Rams punter Johnny Hecker at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Tune in for that. It's going to be a great show. We're happy to have Johnny with us on Wednesday. So, another good show. Yep. In the wraps, Mike. Absolutely. So, that's it for today. For Mike McShane, I am Jonathan Raggis. We will see you all on Wednesdays. Catch you Wednesday.